everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Foodie and the Beast with me, Nikki Nellis. My husband, David, who is normally here on the show, is going to be so sad to miss all the excitement going on in studio. He and my daughter, Tess, are taking the long drive out to the University of Arizona. I think they're somewhere in Texas right now, but I hope they are having a terrific time. Uh, If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're an old hack, well, welcome back. We have so much fun going on in studio today. Um, Please check out the list, areyouonit.com, the online zine, that'll tell you about everything that you hear here in studio, but also all the hot items going on in and around the D.C. area. And follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the hot happenings as well. So, um, have you been to Mike Rafiti's Yellow in Georgetown? Um, that little Levantine cafe serves up delicious pastries. That Lebna-filled croissant is totally my kip- kryptonite. Uh, pita-filled sandwiches and pizza. That is not a pizza. We're going to get into that. Um, he's also behind Albi, you know, the restaurant that has received too many accolades to, like, go down a road on. But... He is very intense, that guy, and he is very specific about how things are done, and that includes his coffee program. In today is Ayat El-Hajj, and uh, she is the coffee director at both Yellow and Albi. I want to know how she went from neuroscience to coffee, and she is going to take us through it and serve up some delicious caffeinated drinks here in studio today. Um, How unhappy is my husband, David? We have barbecue in studio Um, in 2018. Debbie Gonzalez made a life-changing move here to the DMV from her native El Salvador. Now, she and her husband are behind the barbecue restaurant that everybody is talking about, 250 Texas Barbecue. Now, what's interesting is they use offset smokers, and they're really, really intent on creating unique culinary experiences at their facilities. But we're going to get into all the barbecue and how this woman entrepreneur launched this huge business. And now I have another woman entrepreneur who is also joining me on this show. She's been here before. It's been a minute. Uh, Sang Lungrath is here, chef, uh, born in Laos, uh, fled the country during the Vietnam War uh, while staying in a Thailand refugee camp, learned how to cook from her camp neighbors. But she didn't really start cooking here in the States. For everybody until she was 40, which is amazing. And now she has a variety of restaurants, including Tip Cow. The story of how she began and changed the culinary conversation on the cuisine of her country in this area is amazing. And she's got several restaurants and a new one opening up. One new one, two new ones. How many ones do you have? Um, One. One. One new one. Okay, great. Anyway, we're going to get into all of that in a little bit. Now, this is a pretty estrogen-heavy show. So it would really take a guy who's very comfortable in his skin to be able to deal with all the women bosses here in studio. Um, Enter Christian 
Irayoben. He is the founder of Amparo Fundita. He's been in studio before, but he is going to be doing some really new and exciting things, sharing his Mexican culture and history through food. And we're going to go down that culinary road in just a minute. Uh, But first... Live on Zoom is Tiffany McIsaac. You know all about the absolute horror and devastation that has taken place in Hawaii this past week. The wildfires have wreaked absolute havoc, um, and we all need to do what we can to help. Buttercream Bake Shop's Tiffany McIsaac grew up on Maui, and her family lives there today, and they are doing everything they can. She has been sounding the alarm on how we can help. Hey, Tiff, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having me. And I'm really happy that you're bringing more awareness to this. Glad well, we're, glad we're talking about it. Me too. So tell me about, first of all, your family is safe. Yes. Yes. I'm one of the really lucky people. My family lives out in a town called Haiku, which was not one of the three sections of Maui that is, you know, burning to the ground. So <laughs> they're very lucky. And now they're just focusing on trying to help people who need it, which is a lot, thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So I'm selfishly very, very feeling very lucky, but also, you know, my heart is broken for everyone else. Well, so for people who, I mean, I think we all have this sense of what, if you haven't been, you know, I've been to Hawaii and Maui, but like, if you haven't been, we all think of this idyllic, you know, resort laden place, but there are people who live in Hawaii. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you think of Hawaii, you think of movies and luxury and what mm-hmm. people post on TikTok and these glorious hotels. And yeah, that totally all exists. But the people of Maui, that's not their culture. That's, you know, the culture that they use to survive in Hawaii. And mm-hmm. that's the tourist culture that, you know, they live from. But the people of Maui, they're all about their ohana. They're all about their family. They're about living for the love of their islands. Many of them live paycheck to paycheck. And there was already a serious housing crisis that existed in Hawaii where the people of Hawaii cannot afford to even live in homes that they rent. So Mm. many of the people that were displaced don't even own the homes that were burned down. So that means that they don't have things like they don't have insurance, insurance right to protect them and support them until government aid kicks in. So, you know, they lost their homes. They lost one of the schools on that side of the island. They lost their jobs, their sources of transportation, the dock over there burned down. I mean, Mm. you know, my family has, five family friends who lost everything. I mean, they got their families out and their kids and, you know, we will rebuild everything, but all of their belongings, every single thing that they have is gone. Mm -hmm. So what can we do all the way over here to be able to help? I know your sister is doing a ton of stuff. Like what can we do? Yes. So my sister and I originally started. So, you know, there's a few different things you can do. Um, I've set up a Venmo account. You can Venmo money to myself and my sister and my mother are doing shopping. They're working directly with some of the shelters, Mm -hmm. um, going to them every day, asking exactly what they need, and then going and doing massive shopping trips and bringing back what they need. Um, You know, you guys, it's bad. Like last time they went, they said, buy as many tents as you can. Mm -hmm. They're literally buying tents and sleeping bags, you know, socks, underwear, tons of diapers, baby food. Um, It's pretty desperate. So, you know, that's one option. But if you're going to give to charities I have a list Mm -hmm. and I would really highly suggest you know of course there's lots of charities to give to and anyone you can give to find who you love and do it however I would highly suggest if you can that you give to a Maui specific local charity okay they know exactly what the locals need Hawaiians are you know I don't think probably every state will say that their state's different Mm -hmm. but Hawaii is its own different situation locals there are going to respond to locals best and the people of Hawaii and Maui 
they know what the people need. So mm -hmm. there is a group called the Maui uh, Mutual Aid Fund. Maui Mutual it's Aid Fund. Mm -hmm. Maui Mutual Aid Fund. It's a grassroots fund and they distribute funds quickly and directly to the people who are most in need. So while they're waiting for government assistance to kick in, which we know can take a while, mm -hmm. they are working to get money into people's hands and they do a great job. They did a lot during COVID. Um, they also have a great way that you can help. You can go online. So if you're a person who can give, you can fill out a form talking about what you can do. So especially if you're in Maui, if you have a home where someone can come and stay in a room, or if you say, I can take two people's pets and hold on to their pets and care for them. Now I was thinking about, I mean, I know your sister um, uh, is a, a vet oh. and I just like thinking about all the animals as well. I mean, it's just all of it. Yeah. So my, yeah, my, my sister's a vet tech and that's another huge thing that they're dealing mm -hmm. with, but you know, so then also people in Maui can go to the mutual um, aid page and they can fill out a form and say what they need okay. and they'll pair people with what people can give and what people need. So it's just a great organization to give to. Mm -hmm. They're on the ground doing the work in real time. And it's a fabulous one. Um, also the Maui food bank is great. Okay. They're out there doing great work. I know we all know World Central Kitchen. They're mm -hmm. there right now. They're working with a local restaurant whose name happens to be Tiffany's. They make great food. They're doing a ton of good work there, feeding thousands of people. Um, and then, you know, like we just said, the Maui Humane Society, my sister's a vet tech. Her vet clinic is just overwhelmed with animals that are burn victims. There are animals that are displaced by homes because, you know, everybody wants to take their animal, but in a panic situation, what you, are you, gonna do? you can't yeah. always find them. You can't always get them. I mean, mm -hmm. people had literally seconds before their homes were engulfed in flames. They were jumping into the ocean. You just can't always grab an animal in that situation. Right, Tiff, so I hear everything. So services. tell everybody where we can find you on Venmo and of course, follow you on Instagram because you keep posting amazing content that people can use to help the people of the island. Yes, my Venmo and my Instagram are the same. Mm -hmm. They're Tiff MacIsaac. T-I-F-F-M-A-C-I-S-A-A-C. And I will continue to post different organizations that you can donate to on my Instagram. Um, so just keep checking in there and you can just easily link to give whatever you can. Excellent. Thank you, Tiffany. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nikki. Mm -hmm. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> All right. So you got your marching orders on how you can help the people of Maui and Hawaii. So many great ways to help. And Tiff is really leading that effort. Um, feel free to reach out to her, reach out to me uh, if you didn't hear um, some of the uh, places she mentioned, but it is all on her Instagram feed as well, and I will be duplicating it. Okay. Next, let's get some coffee. Nice. Hey, hi, Ayed, how are you? Well, how are you? It's so nice to have you in studio. I'm really excited to be here. Good. So, all right. You were in neuroscience. I was. Um, I went to undergrad at William & Mary, mm -hmm. and I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all, but I'm wishy-washy, and I hate studying, and I hated school, <laughs> and I realized senior year, so I like kind of dropped out, but was like telling myself I was going to go back to class mm -hmm. at some point, and then I was taking like classes at Nova. I came back home and was doing my thing, but like doesn't really... Where did the food world click in? Where did you well, like, what were you doing? my first job was at Baskin Robbins. Okay. And that was my introduction, I uh -huh. guess, to anything food related. So I just kind of like found any cafe that would hire me at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I got into it. All right. So where did coffee, how did coffee fill that need for you? Um, I guess my first time working with coffee was at Sheila Bakery mm -hmm. in Annandale, Virginia, which sure. is where I grew up. 
And they had this like cool illy pod machine and this cool like counter server who was like an older sister type figure in the cafe. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, I can teach you how to make latte art. And I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I like yeah, this. Yeah, I like this. This is mm -hmm. fun. Um, so that's kind of my first time touching an espresso machine. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up working at The Block in Annandale for some time. And Another great place. They started a like coffee program there and I lied and I said that I knew so much about coffee and that I can like help them get this like program off the floor mm -hmm. and so then I kind of fudged it and I took like some random classes and we ended up getting an espresso machine but then I ended up leaving there anyway okay. and they're doing pretty well for themselves yes <laughs> yeah I mean they're not hurting but what I need to know is how you made your way to Mike because you're the director yeah. of the coffee program so um, you must have learned something in those classes. I did. Actually, most of my coffee co knowledge was when I got to Northside, which was mm -hmm. a real cafe. Yes. Um, and they had a real coffee program. And mm -hmm. I started working at there on the bar and learning about coffee through counterculture, which is their main roaster and now our main roaster. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a beautiful education system. Um, so I was staying there for a little bit. I left during the pandemic was looking for another job, kind of just like asked if anyone knew any place I was hiring. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, this cafe just opened in Navy Yard called Yellow, and they right. don't really have any coffee person. And I was like, cool. All Let right. Go well, see what's on up. that note, <laughs> now we know where you are. Yeah. Okay. Even though the Navy Yard one is not open, <laughs> now you're in Georgetown. But um, what kind of coffee are you pouring for us first? So first, we're going to do a little Turkish coffee service. Okay, great. I'll be up until tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> Let's have it. It's just a taste. Okay. Um, so I'm going to put the ibrik on the burner. Okay. You do that, and then we'll come back to you. Beautiful. Okay? Do your thing. Okay, great. All right. Where am I going next? All the things. I think I'm hitting barbecue. Okay. Hello, Debbie Gonzalez. So you have a really interesting story because you've been here in D.C. for just since 2018, right? That is correct. So we, how did you wind up here? We looked at a map and... Where were you? In El Salvador. You were in El Salvador with your husband. Yes. And why did you want to leave? Security. Okay. Um, back then, El Salvador was a, not a very safe place. Mm -hmm. And our daughter had never been to a park or a zoo or anything interesting. Mm. And we thought we need to get out. Mm -hmm. And we looked at a map and said, where do we want to go? We were already doing barbecue in El Salvador. Okay, I was just going to ask that. Okay. And the States was the only place that, I mean, we knew the language. We both spoke English already. Mm -hmm. And we were doing Texas barbecue, but we thought, why should we go to Texas? It's like, no. It's already there. Right. <laughs> so, again, we looked at a map and said, where in the States don't they have something similar. Mm -hmm. And there is also a Salvadorian community that we can feel comfortable in. Mm. And this was the place. Okay. So we literally pinpointed the map and said, You're here. like, I want to be here. Yes. Okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. This is Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. David is going to be so sorry. But Andy is not. Andy's going to be really happy. Um, we'll be back in just a sec. Okay, so anybody who knows me knows that if it's sports, I will watch it on TV Except for cricket. I don't do cricket. But I love going <laughs> to watch my sports at Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. It's fabulous. They've got 21 TV screens down there. Uh, they've got a great selection of beers. It, the food is terrific. They've got a dish called the Crazy Big Nachos that is exactly as described, and a Detroit-style deep-dish pizza that's just nuts. 
And there's nothing like watching a game, stuff in your face, with a bunch of people that are enjoying it just like you are. Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. If you love sports and you love fun food, go there. Welcome back to Foodie and the Beast with me, Nikki Nellis. I am talking to Debbie Gonzalez. She is one of the owners of 250 Texas Barbecue, the barbecue place that everybody is talking about here uh, in the D.C. metro area because they're doing some amazing, amazing food. So we were just getting into your story. You guys decided to move here. But, you know, you mentioned something I want to get back to. While in El Salvador, you were doing barbecue, Texas-style barbecue, how did the two of you get into doing Texas-style barbecue in El Salvador? Fernando and I, we both had a small, small shipping company. Okay. And he had to bring some car parts from Austin to El Salvador. So mm-hmm. he went to Austin. And he just literally fell in love of the culture of barbecue. He went to all these wonderful well, places. Because it's so communal. And he Googled right? what to do in Austin. He had to be there for like two days and he had nothing to do. And one of the things, or like top 10, top one, was go to barbecue tour. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. When he came back, I opened the door, and he said, we are going to do barbecue for the rest of our lives. <laughs> oh, my God. I literally said, you lost your mind. Right. What happened to you in Austin? Mm-hmm. What did, what, what's going on? Did a on? bat hit him in the head? Yes. Like, what happened? I did not understand, because I come from a restaurant industry family, I went to college in my mind to run away from that. Mm-hmm. I was tired of the culture in my mind. It was something not good because my parents, bless their hearts, had not been completely, they were so involved in their jobs that had completely neglected our, his, their children. So I was like, no, my children are not going to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. But then I said, you know what, Fernando, we're going to have the opportunity to do this the other way around. I'm gonna have I, I'm gonna have the opportunity to rewrite my own story mm-hmm. and fix whatever it was not done correctly, and I said, you know what, let's do this, let's let's go for it. And in a crazy haze, we built the smoker from scratch in a country that has absolutely no history of smoking meats. Right. So we do grill, live fire, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it was like a whole education. We had to start telling people what it was, how to cook with smoke and all that. So in a sense, we had to let people understand what smoking meats is mm-hmm. there. Right. And then we went, when we came here, we... You did not have to explain smoking meats no, here. But we did have to explain why our sites were different. Mm. Why our sites had the heritage from when where we come from. Sure. It wasn't the same... White Coleslaw, beans, black beans, exactly, right. or canned beans and all that. Right, it right, was right. Different. So, we've always had to do a little bit of explaining in our food mm-hmm. why it's different than the rest. Well, let's talk a little bit about the integrity of the smoking and what you're doing, where you're getting the wood from, where you're getting your meats from. Like, let's let's talk about all of that. The wood is a special farm that works only for us. We use only oak, mm-hmm. and we use offset smokers only. For people who don't know what an offset smoker, can you explain that? Yes, it's I know it's I know it's intense, but can we get quickly? Yes. Yeah. No gas, no electricity. Mm. So we use that that smoker uses only wood, not even wood chips, not even coal. It's mm. the logs. That's the only that's our main ingredient. And when people ask us what's the difference between yours and others barbecue, it's the wood. Yeah. And it's oak. That mm-hmm. specific kind of oak that we use. Mm-hmm. That's our flavor. That's the main ingredient. And 
that's what we that's why we are so different from from the rest mm-hmm. the meats we use ethically sourced meats and by that we mean you use creekstone farms for our beef mm-hmm. which are amazing farms in 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 Kansas mm-hmm. they we had the opportunity to go a couple of months ago and i was floored by their integrity to the animals, to the people that work right, there. Because they're pasture-raised, right? They yeah. are. Yeah, we've had Creekstone in. I mean, they're, for the size of the farms that they're doing, but their um, their commitment to, I don't think they're humane certified, but their commitment to treating the animals humanely. Right, too. yes. And I appreciate the fact that they have a daycare in the plant. Mm. As a mom, the fact that I can be safe or my children can be safe and they're they're going to be okay and I can work and bring some money for home and all that. Mm-hmm. They think about those things that important. most plants don't. Mm-hmm. So I, it is important to, for me to work with them. So it, really, it's just a wonderful relationship that we have with Creekstone. And we're very proud of that. Now we're going to include their pork, which mm-hmm. comes from Iowa. Mm-hmm. So there, that's also the flavor. It's different right? because of the way they were raised. So let's talk about the kinds of things... Your husband is the pit master? He is. Okay. So let's talk about the kinds of things he's making in that big, huge thing. What is it called? It's because they're custom built, right? You're, yes. What is it? There's a name for it. It's because the offset smokers are custom built because the smokers in Texas are not meant for this cold. They're not meant for the weather here. Oh, right. They can't handle it. That makes sense. They cannot handle sure. them. So sure, 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 sure. they're custom made. Okay. So... Let's talk about the kind of things that we can find on your menu. Why is everybody waiting in line to get your barbecue? Because we don't have enough. Okay. (laughs) We only make a certain amount. It's like predicting how Mm -hmm. much we're going to sell the next day. We can't repurpose it. Mm -hmm. If we have surplus, I can't resell it the next day. Right. They're not fries. I can't Mm -hmm. do anything with it. So I have to predict the amount of food. That is my job. Predicting mm-hmm. and looking at the numbers and looking at the graphs. Well, and- I mean, that's the restaurant business in its entirety. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a total numbers game. Thank you so right. much. So we kind of predict the amount of food that we think we're going to sell the next day, and mm-hmm. we cook it one day ahead. Mm-hmm. So people have to be there early because probably by the end or by dinner, some of the things are going to be out, but mm-hmm. not everything and mm-hmm. not all days. Mm-hmm. The weekends are especially busy, sure. but not on a Monday night. So let's talk about, you brought a bunch of stuff in studio today. Let's talk about what you brought in. I did because I really enjoy what Fernando is doing, um, things that are be, are able to be taken home and used at home, not mm-hmm. only enjoyed at the restaurant. We're now selling our own rubs, mm. which is amazing. We do it all by ourselves. We are selling our own chimichurri, our own bottles of sauce, which we make ourselves. There is no cans and... Mm-hmm relabeling it or anything like that. We smoke our own feta, which is one of my favorite I mean, items. The smoked feta that you brought in, like I thought it was fat. Like I was <laughs> like, what is that? That looks like a big slab of fat. And she's like, no, it's feta. And now I cannot wait to cut into it because that is fabulous. It actually changes the the flavor. It's a little bit sweeter. Sure. It cuts the saltiness, the mm-hmm. smoke. So it's amazing. And I so is the texture crumbly or is it's it less crumbly? Silky. Silky. That's Interesting. the word I would use. Yes, yeah. it's silky. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that people can go to our restaurant, buy. They'll take it for camping. They take it as presents from around. Some of our community, our Salvadorians, are so proud of us. Mm-hmm. And I and I truly appreciate that because right. 
um, I love the representation of it. I mm -hmm. love that they see us and they they cannot believe that we did not put a pupuseria. I mean, they we. But you do have plate. pupusas on, on the Sunday, menu. Yes, for barbecue, we right? Put brisket and pooper pupusas. Okay, well that sounds delicious because I love those too. And I am very proud to say that those are also my grandmother's recipes: the cocido, mm. the salsa, the pickled veggies, the vinegar, all that. So I am very, very proud that we have been able to join our heritage and the food that we serve is a testament of the life that we left behind, mm -hmm. but also the life that we've built here, which we love. Tell everybody where they can find your currently two open restaurants and where your future one is coming and where they can see you online. We have a small stand at Union Market in, in D.C. Mm -hmm. Our main location is in Riverdale Park, Maryland. That's where you will find the smokehouse. And if you ask nicely, we will nicely we would be more than glad to give you a pit tour, which is one of my favorite things to do. Sure. And pretty soon we will open in K Street. Mm -hmm. it's Mount Vernon area. Mount Vernon Triangle mm -hmm. area, yes. Um, early winter 2024. We cannot wait to be in the district. Cannot wait. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. So unfortunately... Or fortunately, I was having a wonderful conversation. But while I was having a wonderful conversation, my ability to multitask, because I am the mother of five, kicked in. And uh, I was watching you make the Turkish coffee. Yeah. I wish I had like, I was like, God, I want my Instagram <laughs> on so I can like video it because it's so beautiful. So talk about making Turkish coffee because that was a whole like three minute thing. Real. But it was like, it was like a meditation. It was yeah. beautiful. So let's talk about it. Um, I like to think about Turkish coffee now the way that you can get a pour-over done to order at any coffee shop. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, you have different brew methods of coffee. Mm -hmm. You can make the same bean into espresso. You can make it Turkish coffee. You can do a pour-over. You can do drip. You can do cold brew. It all just means like what factors of this bean am I manipulating? And mm -hmm. for now, what we're really looking at is grind size. Um so Turkish coffee has an extremely, extremely fine grind. Okay. Um, in the same way that finer espresso. Than, I was going to say finer, finer than, than espresso. espresso. Okay. Um, but the main difference between espresso and Turkish coffee is that an espresso machine has nine bars of pressure that are pushing down on this tiny puck of coffee in a very small amount of surface area and uh -huh. extracting. You can get a shot of espresso in about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. and that's really, really fast compared to a full cup of coffee, which takes about five minutes. But that's mm -hmm. because the coffee is much coarser. Mm. So the Turkish coffee setup is a really traditional way of making coffee, and it's the way that people have been making coffee in so many mm -hmm. centuries ago. And this is how we are now merging it with kind of specialty in third wave coffee. So, okay, here. what else did you – this is Turkish coffee. But so I saw you put coffee, a spoon of something else in and there. it's a spiced sugar. Um, oh. Turkish coffee is usually had – um, like cardamom? Something. Exactly. So in the sugar, it's clove, cardamom, and a little bit of fennel seed. God, it's um, gorgeous. And it's really just like lightly sweetened and really nicely floral and perfumed mm -hmm. on the nose. And I think scent is a huge part of coffee mm. um, and how you're able to experience the beverage. So that's what goes inside of it. And Great. Okay. It. What are you going to make for us next? Next, we're going to do the yellow spro and tonic. Ooh, I can't wait. Okay. We'll be back with you in a minute. And now another culinary diplomat. Oh, I adore her, and I'm so glad she's with me today. Chef Sang, you know her from Tip Cow. Uh, when you opened Tip Cow, it totally changed um, the conversation for what people understood about Asian cuisine. It was the first Lao restaurant here in the city, but it 
it ex- I mean, there's still lines to get in to that restaurant. I mean, I was just there a couple of weeks ago. So um, I can, I mean, but you, you, you know, if people were not knowledgeable about the cuisine, there had to be an education. So can we talk about your path to, first of all, getting behind the stove and then now launching all these restaurants? And you have a son who's a chef as well, right. who's following in your footsteps, Bobby, yes. who I adore. So let's just talk about sort of the initial beginnings and then where we are today. Well, um, the beginning is um, I was a I was a house mom. I mm-hmm. love to cook, and um, I would just find the right way to um, do some sort of business. I was in so many different business before that, so I decided just to go forward with um, cooking. And mm-hmm. so the the easiest way and the most comfortable way for me it was cooking like Thai food. Mm-hmm. So I took over Thai restaurant, you know, back in the day. But days. why Thai food? Well, because Thai food is very similar to Lao food. The okay. culture is very similar. Um, as far as ingredients, cooking-wise, mm-hmm. it's very similar. And also, it's, it's, it's the most comforting for me um, because Thai is, 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 the market is already out there. So, so mm-hmm. who, know, who don't know Thai food, right? Right. right. So, yeah, so that's I know, what but I did. to be fair, right. 35 years ago, 40 years ago in this country, I mean, now you can go to almost any place in this country, and there are Thai restaurants, right? right? Because the Thai community has expanded, but also there is a knowledge. It's a clientele that knows it. Do you right. know what I mean? But yeah. there was the first Thai restaurant, just like there is the first Lao restaurant, right? Right, right. yeah. So so basically, that's, that's where I came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to go ahead and, and move forward with my passion um, with opening Thai, and then I, I was asking myself, why am I cooking Thai food? I'm from Laos. Right. And, um, and, and you know, all of a sudden, I just said, you know what, let's just go ahead and, and move forward and cooking the food where, where you know, I grew up eating. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go ahead and do a secret menu. That's pretty much where I came from. Okay, wait, I'm going to pause you on the secret menu. Right. I love secrets. <laughs> but I'm also a huge gossip, so I'm not really good at keeping them. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Okay, uh, this is Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. I'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast with uh, Nikki Nellis. Uh, David is uh, out in Arizona. And he's also going to be jealous because he loves Tip Cow and he loves Jeff Sang. And she's here with us today telling her story. Okay, so you started asking yourself, why aren't I serving the cuisine that I I grew up with, but also I assume what you were making at home for your family. Yes, definitely. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I cook at home. I cook for my family. So, so um, the question I have was, you know, why am I not, you know, going back to my culture and, and why do I have to hide under other cultures? It, it's been like a, a struggle came in, you know, coming from Laos and not too many people know where Laos is. And I have mm-hmm. to explain. And I'm kind of like, you know, having, you know, like a lost identity. So mm-hmm. basically cooking is kind of bring back my own identity. Okay. Yeah. So you start, you open up your restaurant, you're cooking Thai food, mm-hmm. and you decide, I'm going to put in this little secret menu. So who'd you tell? You had to tell somebody or else how they're going to order it. <laughs> yeah. So so what I did was I, I personally came out, you know, when I have a guest coming. Back then we had a buffet. So people come in and have the buffet, Thai uh-huh. buffet. So, so we asked a guest, you know, are you here for the buffet or are you here for the, you know, uh, the menu? So um, when the guest said, oh, I'm here just, you know, to, to see what you have to offer. So I, do come, I did come, came out and asked you know, and, and, and explain who I am, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I'm doing. And, and I told him I have a secret menu. Mm. So I was just um, cooking whatever that I had that day to the guests. So that's pretty much how the word got out. So mm-hmm. when the guests having never had Lao food, I have to explain where Laos was. 
and I have to explain, you know, what's the difference between Laos and Thai. So I'm still struggling trying to explain that. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, so that that's how I start. So the secret menu is really, um, it, it just it's got a word out really really fast. So next thing is, you know, we had you know people that that never had it and came and asked for it. So that's pretty much how. So when we when you opened up Tip Cow, I mean that's a completion a completely menu dedicated to the cuisine of right. And so can we talk about what's on there for so the people who have not had it and who are like okay you keep mentioning Thai food I know Thai food mm-hmm. what are the differences what what are the nuances of the cuisine Well Dip Cow is pretty much focused on Lao food um, the the difference is the way the way I presenting Lao food is. Is pretty much you know the way I grew up eating, the way I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to being straightforward, you know, be honest to myself how I cooked it, and I, I don't really water down anything. So um, and I'm just gonna say when you say water down, we're talking about spice level, right? The spice level and also um, using the ingredients that um, most of my family and friends were discouraged me not, you know, said don't use fish sauce. Right. Because don't use shrimp paste because because of Americans' flavor taste buds. Yes, because of it. And there's a quiet taste for it because of the funkiness. Mm-hmm. It's not only Lao food is known for spicy; it's also known for funky. Yeah. So, um, you know, because but it's an It's I, I hate to call it funky because that that can that could be like that could have a negative. Yeah. Because it's more umami, right? It's, exactly. It's flavors that we're not really, we can't pinpoint it. Right, exactly. So I kind of stopped using the word funky for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, that was back in the day. So I use the word umami a lot. Okay. Because the kind of fish sauce that we use is an unfiltered fish sauce, which mm. is very different from a typical fish sauce that you will see in the market. Um, so it's, it's, it really has a great umami. Put I, I use them pretty much in in most of the dishes that needed. Mm-hmm. So actually, I named my my um, original restaurant um, that was Bangkok, Bangkok Golden back then, and I renamed it to Badak, which okay. is mean this funky fish sauce. Oh, is that what it means? Yes. I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> How do I not know that? That is amazing. Okay, so you get Tip Cow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it landed hard, and it really educated so many people. Yes. And also, you were kind of like, when you opened, that was, 2014, right? It's 2014, yes. Yeah, so when you opened, that was sort of like you opened up uh, in Columbia Heights, and there was sort of like a lot of uh, people from sort of the Asian diaspora who were opening. You know, um, Filipino food was starting to take off. You were mm-hmm. seeing more people showing off uh, Taiwanese, you know, showing off their flavors, showing off their cultures. Like, mm-hmm. there was a lot of how is the wrong word, but there was a lot of people being like, no, 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 this is what I grew up on. This is what I want to serve. Right. There was a huge change, I think, in the, especially in the D.C. landscape. Yes, yes. That, that was a huge change when I, when I, um, uh, 2014. So mm-hmm. Purple Patch was serving Filipino. Yes. And um, uh, another Chef wo- Tom was another doing Another woman-owned, right, yes. but another woman-owned restaurant. Yes. So, so I, I, was, I wasn't really afraid when mm-hmm. I first came to D.C., so I would just have to think, you know what, if I don't do this, then we're going to stuck to, you know, the, the culture where, you know, it needs to be shine out. So I, I basically, you know, I just like you said, I, I cook just pretty much just like I cook at home. Right. Right. Just like how I would eat it. So that's pretty much, you know, is different from the way I cook in Bangkok Golden. Mm-hmm. So I made at Padak, which right. is the original. Um, so we restaurant. have Tip Cow, we have mm-hmm. Padak. Mm-hmm. And then... 
you're opening up a new place called Banmei. Yeah, so Banmei. So Banmei is actually an old Hanuman space. Right. So um, basically, I I opened Hanuman. It didn't work because Hanuman is pretty much known for a bar concept, like a mm-hmm. fun lao bar. So so for me, but you know, you um, didn't that also open like pandemic, like. Right before the pandemic. Yeah, right before I mean, the pandemic. Timing was a little bit of everything. Right, it was quite challenging too at that time. So, uh-huh. so I reopened about a year ago, and I tested the market. I'm trying to see what I can do with that space. So I did trying to focus more on food instead of on cocktail. Uh-huh. So it was a huge success. So we just opened on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So um, recently, um, about a few months ago, I decided to to go forward with a full menu with pretty much straightforward food, mm-hmm. focus on food instead of drinks. Mm-hmm. So Banmei is called, Banmei is because mom's house. Right. So mom's house uh, is going to be represent pretty much not just only Lao food. So I will be pretty much focused on Southeast Asian cuisine. Mm. So Thai food, Cambodian food, Burmese food, Malaysian, whatever that I, you know, Whatever you Loud. feel like making. Whatever you right? make it. So it's like a fun space where I can be a little so, bit is it, playful. Is it in service right now or? Um, no, not yet. It okay. will be open once I um, finish um, open my um, moving back to Arlington. Okay. Yeah. And what's the ETA on that? Um, so um, the estimate time for opening Banmei probably in mid-fall. Okay. So that will be on 7th Street, the yep. same space as Hanuman. Thank yes. you so much, Chef. Thank just tell you. us quickly what you brought in today because it's so beautiful. So what I bought today is my favorite. I eat it all the time. is mm-hmm. is is It's like a fish taco. So right. it's it's a fish wrap. So instead of using lettuce, I like to use fresh collard greens. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like a, a food that I like to serve to the guests. It's kind of like so they can have interaction. It's with like the make food. your own. A little yeah, bit of, yeah. Put it's it like, in the collard, the noodles, right? And then what's the um, sauce? So the sauce is a pineapple sauce with uh-huh. a fermented bean. Yum. Yeah. Thank you. So tell everybody where they can find you. Well, uh, they can find me at pretty much at Dip Cow, which is on 14th Street in Clement Heights. Um, Ban Mare coming soon in fall uh-huh. um, is going to, it's on 7th Street uh, in Shaw neighborhood. And also they can find me um, at Badak, the new location in South Arlington. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. All right. I had, so... Tell me a little bit about the coffee program at Yellow and Albi. Um, so there are two very different programs. Mm-hmm. I think Yellow is styled to be a casual-ish cafe Well, it's a fast, casual restaurant. Exactly. Um, and Albi's coffee program is a tableside Turkish coffee at the end of your tasting menu mm-hmm. um, that I think is a really beautiful, slow, communal experience that you have at the table with your guests Versus when you come into yellow, it's really high energy. Um, and I love the communal feel that you're having with everyone there mm-hmm. as opposed to who you came to have dinner with. Right. Um, so this is one of my favorite seasonal drinks on the menu called the Yellow Spro and Tonic. Um, espresso so what, are, what tonics, are we drinking? What are we drinking? Yeah. Uh, espresso tonics are a really like fruity way to drink coffee. Um, so instead I of, did not know this was coffee. Yeah, exactly. There's coffee in it. Um, so it's tonic water and then an apricot puree that we put in. Um, and then on top, it's floated with two shots of espresso. Huh. So, so there's a lot of coffee. There is <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, your caffeine tolerance will probably increase after this. Okay, great. Um, but okay, I'm going to put a pin in you because mm-hmm. you're going to end my show on a real <laughs> high note. So whatever you're making next, 
We're get, get ready for. Got it. Because now I got to move on. I don't need to take a break, right? Go right in. Hi, Chef. Hello. Chef Christian is back in studio. So you were in, I want to say like four months ago? Yeah, a couple of months ago. A couple of months ago because you were doing a pop-up, mm-hmm. right? All right. So can we give people your 411, like just, we don't have like hours to give us your whole resume, but can you just give us like where you've been, what you've been doing so that we can wind up to now? Sure. Yeah. Um, we've been uh, in the process of opening Amparo Fondita, which has been a project that started uh, at the end of 2016 mm-hmm. uh, through a lot of ups and downs, uh, trying out the the market and finding a space. Mm-hmm. Um, we. Uh, so ha- do you ha- want to tell me what it is? Sure. Let's yeah. talk about what it is and then we could talk about why. Why we've gone down this winding road to get it to where it needs to be. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Paro Fondita is sort of the the passion project, right? Like all the all the the culmination of all the years of cooking in restaurants in in DC and mm-hmm. and all around, uh, put together with my upbringing and uh, growing up in my family's restaurants in Mexico and in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, do I feel like a gauntlet thrown about Texas? Yeah. What am I, what am I sensing here? <laughs> okay, go ahead. Well, that and I think it's also you know tied in with the whole immigrant story, which I feel like this whole table right now. <laughs> I'm uh, telling actually, that story. Every I, the whole studio, really. Yeah. Right. We everybody here brings yeah. a rich history with them. Yeah. So um, it, it's part um, part opening up uh, and. An homage to my family, mm-hmm. um, uh, a pat on the back for all the work done <laughs> and, and everything learned, um, mm-hmm. having been able to cook in some great kitchens with some amazing chefs that have taught me a lot. Um, and now also being able to put together a menu where we are cooking food that is, at least for me, craveable, not mm-hmm. necessarily being highly chef-driven, but rather food-centric. Okay. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about those are all beautiful words. And I'm following you, but I want to get into the nuance of it and what it means. Sure. Okay. This is Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. If I sound a little like high energy, it's because I'm drinking a lot of coffee <laughs> and I think it's starting to hit. <laughs> we'll be back in just a sec. And we're back on Foodie and the Beast with me, Nikki Nellis. Okay. We're talking with Chef Christian Irbian. He's talking about his Amparo Fondita. So 2016, you had a vision. Yes. You, you have taken a meandering road. Yes, to get the scenic there. route. Yeah, the scenic <laughs> route. But there's but the universe is doing it for a reason. So how what was your initial vision? How is your let's not talk about what your initial vision was, but let's talk about how it's changed in all these years. Because the dining landscape has changed, uh the knowledge of the diner has changed, money has changed. I mean, so much has changed. So what are we looking at now? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, the the transformation. I think uh, kind of going back to being food centric. Uh, the the original intent as a young chef was to be you know Chef Christian and and put out my chef-y. food. You wanted to be chefy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward several years later, and uh, a lot of like political, social, and economic climates are changing, mm-hmm. uh, and actual climates also changing. Um, right. So. Uh, now I think we're looking, or at least I'm looking at the platform of the restaurant, not just to make really great food, but really open up opportunities for everybody working with me, Mm. um, through the pandemic and a little bit before, uh, we saw the opportunity to use the restaurant as a platform for, uh, both professional development, economic impact and opening doors for people, um, particularly Latin American immigrant workers who Mm -hmm. pretty much make up. Most of, if not all right. of, every restaurant, uh, if not in the city, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
we started working with, um, you know, in, in this place where it's so hard to find uh, experienced staff, if we want to call it that, um, we started looking in, inwards rather than outwards and uh, figuring out how to facilitate information, how to make sure that our trainers, our leaders, our managers, supervisors, chefs um, were trained enough to be able to communicate and facilitate the information for our dishwasher to become a prep cook and our prep cook to become a line cook and et cetera. I mean, it is the beauty of the restaurant industry. I mean, we could have opened this up and made this a panel for everybody in here, right, with staffing shortages and all the changes in the industry. But, you know, just being at the Rammies recently, uh, you know, I can't remember who came on stage, but he was like, I started as a dishwasher, you know, immigrated to this country, nothing. And now I own however many restaurants like the it's something about the restaurant industry that gives people real a real path of opportunity that should be continuously celebrated i believe right you know yeah and sometimes it's very hard um i think people get caught up in the in the grind and sort of forget um that teaching is really kind of what chefing is you Mm -hmm. can't really chef if you can't teach um so to be able to open up those and doors. teach means not yelling. It means not yelling. You it know, means... like, I mean, some of the television shows out there have done a huge disservice yes. to what people think is really going on in the kitchen. Yeah. So, yeah, part of what we're doing as well um, started off uh, a couple of years ago, uh, an initiative called Hospitality Humans, where we're kind of reimagining what that landscape looks like. Um, mm-hmm. There's um, a lot of chefs uh, currently in the D.C. area that are also under the same uh, path of trying to change how we do things, how we talk to each other, how we reward each other, how we teach each other, um, actually explaining things versus the, you know, why do we do this? Oh, because that's just how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. But why? Right. right? Uh, uh, Scoffier and the French Brigade definitely brought a lot of um, a lot of structure to what we do. But it was um, mil- military, mil- militaristic, militaristic. Yeah. And it but, was, I mean, it was a brigade, right? Like, that's what it was about. Right. And mm-hmm. how long ago was that? A long time ago. Right. And no one's ever questioned it since. Right. Like, no. We're still ro- rolling that way. So mm-hmm. we're trying to create um, a different environment, trying to create really good food, but also trying to create opportunities to. Well, so can we prepare. hit on the food? Because we'd only have so much time. Absolutely. So tell me about the style of cuisine we're going to be looking at. And when are we going to be looking at it? Most sure. importantly. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, the style of cuisine is. You know, the name of the restaurant is Amparo, which mm-hmm. is my mother's name. Mm-hmm. Um, it also means shelter and in Spanish. And apparently she's really nice. She is amazing. Her, yeah. And you didn't bring her in, but we'll deal with that later. We'll do that. We'll do that next time. Okay. Um, so most of the menu is kind of an homage to my family's restaurants growing up, uh, mm-hmm. the food I grew up eating. Definitely not the restaurants we now know. Like, they were very small little neighborhood spots. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to recreate those things that I wake up on a Saturday morning craving, mm-hmm. right? For um, example? Conchas, which we have right now, which is uh, the Mexican sweetbread game is sort of uh, an inheritance of French colonization that we sort of then uh, took back and appropriated. And made better. And made better. Yeah. (laughs) uh, By a million miles. So Mm -hmm. conchas are kind of like this brioche little airy bread that then is topped off with with a buttery, floury, sweet um, crust. Um, Mm -hmm. Usually, I think a lot of people will tell you it's a dry bread and it's supposed to be dipped. Uh, That is not true. I don't feel that way. It should be moist. It should be fluffy. It should be easy to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's kind of what we're trying to present. Uh, Something that... uh, So is that going to be... So what is... Is your restaurant breakfast, lunch, dinner? Or what's the vision? Yeah, the vision is we're leaning in towards our day program. Um, Mm -hmm. 
breakfast, all-day brunch, as we're calling it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, well, you know, D.C. loves its brunch. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, is more cafe style, very casual, very easy to come in and accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we flip at 5 p.m. and we bring out, you know, we bring and out the, the white chef coats. Uh, we're right in the heart of DuPont. We're like uh, an earshot away from the farmer's market on Sundays. Excellent. And uh, what's right on P Street. ETA? Uh, we're shooting for mid-September. Okay, so soon. Soon. Yeah, Can't yeah. Wait. All right. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? So they, I mean, obviously you can stay up to date at the list or you want uh, and here on the show, but uh, where else can they find you? Sure. Um, you can find us on uh, social media for sure at Cristiani Rabien, at Amparo Fondita, and at Hospitality Humans. Um, also, our websites are in the process, but are still reachable at amparofondita.com mm-hmm. and elgabachotacos.us. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's bring it home. Hi. Hi. So everything has just been beautifully delicious. What's the last thing you made for us? The last drink is actually the first drink that I put on the yellow menu, which Mm -hmm. is the coconut cardamom iced coffee. Mm. It is an iced coffee base, black, and a coconut cardamom cold foam on top. Which, you know, I think a lot of people would think that that's going to be heavy cardamom. Yeah. And sweet. Yeah. But this is so clean tasting. And I think that's because it's um, a... Iced coffee base as opposed to a latte base. And I think it's a way to have an iced coffee beverage that isn't so milky and heavy on the palate, which I love. Which I love, too. Yeah. Because I, I'm i not, well, I'm not, if I were to drink coffees, latte are, are not something I go to yeah. because I find, and I like dairy, but it can be heavy on the tongue. I think it takes lot. away yeah. from the flavor of the coffee. Now, we only have about a minute left. So share with people, because you do have an expansive menu. You're constantly changing things. As we head into fall, can we talk a little bit about like what you're looking to do? Yeah. Um, I think my principles towards yellow are just excitement and ease. I want people to feel a sense of ease that you feel when you go into any cafe, any mm-hmm. third place that you have for yourself, but still be excited about the menu offerings. I feel like 90% of cafes in this country are the exact same, mm-hmm. basically. So to be a little bit different is really nice um, and to be able to treat yourself. I'm looking forward to Not Pizza really taking off. Right. Um, so this, it's a collab that night. they're doing. We were supposed to really get yeah. into it, but we only have so much time. And we are talking <laughs> about the coffee and you are the coffee director. Exactly. So go ahead. Um, so we're starting our nighttime pizza service with a focus on natural wines and like cool cocktails at night mm-hmm. um, in September. We have a little surprise in store for Navy Yard. And um, in terms of Georgetown, I feel like we're just keeping the high energy, bringing in collabs for not only coffee, but uh, chef and sandwich collaborations. Um, Great. We did a few and just keep killing it. Cool. I like it. All right. Where can everybody find you? Um, Yellowthecafe.com mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and on Instagram. And then my Instagram is ayatelhaj, A-Y-A-T-E-L-H-A-G. I'm a blue circle. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody for coming in studio. Uh, there's so much delicious food here. Nobody's touched a thing. Um, and for all the fabulous coffee, uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Obviously, you can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Don't forget, Industry Night is now on YouTube. So please subscribe. I'm sorry David isn't here. I will give a quick shout out to Ukraine as we do every week because those people are still suffering and we need to help them. And also thank you to Tiffany McIsaac for joining us today and reminding us how we can help those people who are suffering in Maui. Um, 
There's a lot of bad out there, but there's also a lot of good. So find the balance, be safe out there, and have a delicious week.